Welcome to another episode at the Be Guided and Be Great podcast, where being intuitive is understood and being sensitive is a good thing. I'm your host, Kate St. Clair. Today's episode is called 10 Tips to Know If You Have an Angel in the Family and How to Understand Them. I didn't believe them at first. Uh, the first time I heard that my daughter was an angel, I actually rolled my eyes. Nah, that's not a real thing, I thought. Um, the second time, a psychic told me at a psychic fair, a friend dragged me to for fun. You know you're an, your daughter's an angel, right? The reader asked me. I'm sure my face was quite stunned because my mind was filled with doubt. I have read... Um, I had read, and I believe that people cannot become angels, that um, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, when people pass away, people always say, oh, she's an angel now. And like to my bones, that did not ring true. I was also raised Catholic, so that's not even like in the equation that a human being can actually be an angel. Um, so the third time it happened, months later, uh, it was my mentor she said, you know, you're, you know, she's an angel, right? Don't you? Cause my toddler, she was down at my legs during our session. And this really took my breath away. Cause those were absolute strangers. They didn't know anything about me or my daughter. And they all had a very specific and direct message that my child was an angel. Honestly, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what that was even supposed to mean. I couldn't have conceived uh, the reality of that before that moment, particularly the third time um, when I finally was able to start being willing enough to try to understand what that meant. I mean, the message felt direct. It felt important, but I did not know what the hell that was supposed to mean? What was I supposed to do with that? Right? I knew my daughter's spirit had been around me for years before I brought her into the world, but I didn't believe or consider that she was anything other than my baby. Right? So she was two years old, extremely independent, extremely telepathic always that I did know. And so my mentor, um, during that session, she looked me in the eye and she goes, does she talk? <laughs> And I said, yeah, sometimes she does baby sign language too. You know, uh, I went above and beyond with my first kid for sure. And so my mentor said, she's psychic and you're telepathic. Um, you better start making her use her words because she expects everyone to be able to read her, her mind just like you do. So, I mean, you have to understand for the first two years, she was born in Montana, um, but she was only three months old when we went to, uh, my husband's company moved us to New England. And for two years, it was pretty much just her and me while he went, you know, he actually worked in a whole other state than we lived. So, um, it hadn't really, I mean, I understood her, I got her, I, I did not struggle to connect with her in any way. So when we moved to Colorado, when she was about two and a half, um, I finally started to kind of reach out more into the community and it was only then that I realized like maybe she's not talking as much as the average kid. Hmm, maybe, you know, but, um, after that session with my mentor, I gathered my things, I went to the truck and I was just still stunned at what I needed to confront, right? My daughter is an angel. 
images and understandings began to download in my mind. Um, you know, she never needed to ask me for anything. I just knew when she was hungry, right? When she was tired, uh, what she wanted, what she needed, I just knew it, you know, like, I would just get the message, you know, make goldfish appear, you know, <laughs> I want some chocolate milk. Uh, it's time for dinner, you know, and these things would just magically appear. And, and she and I had a system, but it, it had never dawned on me that that was anything other than ab absolutely normal behavior for both of us. I mean, she didn't need to tell me anything. She never fussed or cried. Uh, she was just always an amazing baby. And she was then a fiercely independent toddler. Um, so I was just absolutely proud of the being that she was becoming. It hadn't dawned on me that, that there was anything different here going on. I remember watching her ever since she was a baby, baby, she would just move away from bad people. Um, at two years old, she was teaching me more about boundaries than anyone I'd met before that. Um, you know, we all have those people in our family that are just, they're not good people. And we are used to that. You know, we grew up around them. We kind of know um, how to have boundaries around them. We know how to avoid them in what situation. Um, so it was just amazing to watch this little tiny baby um, move away from those people. And I think a lot of kids are maybe disciplined for that or possibly in the old days spanked for that, you know, like don't be rude or, you know, oh my God, don't embarrass me by not putting on a show over these people. Right. But I, I was just in awe of her. I was just an absolute awe of her clarity and her, she would not perform for anyone. Um, and good people, she'd crawl up on their lap. She had no problem with them, but she, she was incredibly on target, even as a little baby. I mean, she couldn't force herself to be nice or look at the people she knew were phony or bad or cruel. And through the lens of today, I would say even some of the evil people in my family, right? That's another conversation, but, um, this is the family I grew up in and you could not make her. I didn't try, but <laughs> I knew there were, it was pointless to try to get her to be nice. In fact, I, I, I had kind of an innate desire to protect that that intuition in her, that clarity. Um, so I just started watching her and trying to learn, uh, you know, for like kind of for the first time trying to give myself permission to not, uh, put on a show or be super kind to people that really didn't deserve it. You know, I mean, I'm a decent human being and I'm raising her to be a decent human being, obviously, but you know what I'm talking about? Like in the face of somebody cruel, we kind of go above and beyond what we should to make them feel comfortable because they make us feel so uncomfortable. So basically I was in awe of her clarity, her space, her ability to never compromise herself. Now that was back in 2007, 12 years later, 13 years later, I know a ton more about what it means and what it really looks like to have an angel in the family. So not only is she an angel, right? And it was quite a journey to accept that and understand that. But my husband is too, right? When I could understand my daughter, it's my job to understand my kids. When I finally could really understand how she saw the world through the lens of being an angel, I could kind of see that in her dad. So I was able to backtrack that, um, study him more. And obviously with the help of my guides, get much more clearer around it. And once you're sort of aware of this reality, 
I was finally starting to see it on, um, you know, most of my clients, most many of the people I knew, um, uh, the, there's this kind of panel of behavior and the way that they experience things and the way we experience them, that is just calculatingly, um, dependable. Okay. So the truth is, is that they are everywhere in every family truly in every family. So I've studied them, I've mentored them, I've read for them, I live with them. And the truth is that it's not as glamorous or as easy as Hollywood have us believe. Okay, there's a lot of myths around angels. Um, so I'm going to try to streamline it. Um, I'm going to try to streamline it into 10 tips to know if you're if your loved one is an angel in your family. Okay, so it's kind of that context. And I'm not gonna it's not necessarily a podcast about angels that are human, but rather how you might experience them. Um, and or if you're an angel, how you are perhaps a little bit different than the the way your family experiences reality, right? So it's a coming together of all things. Um, you know, the truth is, is that they do things differently than the rest of us. And that's another conversation, but I'm simplifying. And if we don't understand them, it can be really hard for them. It can be hard for you. It can be hard for them. So let's just get into a couple of tips, um, to help, you know, to start those wheels turning to, to take a look maybe through a new lens with which you see your family. And the intention is understanding and um, understanding its information and its acceptance, um, so that we can just really enjoy that, which we are. Okay. So number one, they don't like to look you in the eyes. Okay. They don't like it. So angels are the most sensitive beings on the planet. Um, you know, I'm generalizing here, but I would say that they're the most, um, they are extremely claircognizant. So claircognizant is they just know, they know, they know it's like a download. It's like a download that happened so fast. You didn't know it happened. Um, so claircognizant is the fastest of all the clairs. So, um, they just know information as fast as it happens, perhaps even faster if they're also psychic. So it doesn't hit any of their other clairs, such as their clairaudience or clairvoyance, right? Clairaudience is hearing, clairvoyance is seeing. So um, they just know before feelings and thoughts of others uh, because they are telepathic, just like um, an angel in the spirit world. When they're in a human body, they are just as telepathic. So this is, this is information just fast, 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 fast. Um, um, so you can see how it can be kind of concerning for them and they kind of try to reduce stimulation because things happen so fast. They sometimes don't even know it happened and nobody's raising them like you're an angel. This is how it's going to feel for you. Right. <laughs> the chances of them being supported uh, is very rare. So they, they tend to not want to look at you because that's already, they're already knowing they're already downloading, just looking at you sometimes overwhelms their, their systems. Right. So it's common for me to be driving in the car, especially when my kids were little, especially when my daughter was little and in the back seat. Right. So from the back seat, she would ask me a question which had to do with exactly what I was thinking in that moment. I mean, exactly. Okay. So you can see how you want to know if you have a telepath, if you have an angel in the family, because, um, it's really good manners to be mindful of what you're thinking in their presence. Does that make sense? Especially if they're little, 
and you're maybe thinking of adult issues, you're afraid or you're worried or you're angry, they're picking all that up because they're reading you. And what that looks like in the moment is your kids looking out the window, ignoring you. That's what that looks like, but they're doing so much more. Okay. And, um, obviously there's some, there's something a little different between children, angels, and you know, an adult one, but, um, then that's another conversation, but to simplify, it's a conversation about minding what you're thinking and feeling in the presence of your, um, little kids that are angels because they are reading you that fast and it's overwhelming. Okay. Number two, they don't talk a lot. Okay. If you have a family member or if your child doesn't talk a lot, that is a sign that they're an angel. Why? Because angels are telepathic. Okay. So for, I find it, I found it really annoying, right? When I moved to New England with my husband and my, my daughter, that means I'm in a house with two people that are angels that don't talk. <laughs> it was a small version of hell. <laughs> Not because they didn't do anything unkind. They're lovely, 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 wonderful people. But I am a talky, talky, chatty Kathy. So <laughs> chatty Kate, but <laughs> I need I need verbal communication because I'm also sensitive. So, um, it, it looks like this, you know, like my husband will want to be in my aura. He'll be want to be next to me, but he won't talk to me. So that really bothered me early in our marriage. Cause I didn't really understand what was happening there where he's super content. You know, he's reading my mind and he's just connecting all the way. And I'm more wanting to process his incredibly high energy through language. And, um, you know, my son is really chatty like I am. So again, to be isolated with just two angels was hard. And I wish I had had this information earlier um, because I maybe wouldn't have had such hurt feelings or I wouldn't have been quite as lonely as I had felt then. Um, feeling I felt like I was kind of the odd one, certainly. Because um, again, I was just desperate for language. It was two years in New England with nobody, nothing going on, you know, taking good care of my baby, reading, studying, trying to understand my gift. It's pretty much what happened for two years straight. So there was not a lot of language around it. Um, but once I understood what they were doing, I had to accept that this is the way that they naturally communicate, right? So I'll still tell them, Hey, use your words. You know, I'm too exhausted to read you. Or I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, the mirror has two faces with uh, Barbara Streisand, but there's this wonderful line that I love that she says to him. Uh, she says, talk to me. He's trying to overanalyze what he's thinking and feeling. And she just says, talk to me. So I'll say that, I'll say that to my angels who are in my presence, in my aura, very much conversing with me, but they are not using their words. So I found that really helpful so that they know what I need from them. So I don't just get annoyed <laughs> with them. And vice versa too, right? Okay, here's the third one. Angels are pack rats, okay? Angels are natural hoarders. They keep everything. What they're actually doing, this took me a very long time to comprehend, but what they're actually doing is setting up protection to keep massive energy waves um, from coming at them, right? They're trying to keep those waves of energy at bay. Um, my guide say the show hoarders is a show about angels, honestly. 
So, um, when I go in to give my daughter a kiss goodnight, pray God she still lets me do that. Thank you, thank you. Um, I will open the door, and maybe even she just cleaned her room that day. So I'll, I'll open the door, and the, the her desk chair is kind of in front, so I got to go around that. And then she has put a bunch of clothes sort of between the bed and the door, and there's always this little opt- obstacle courses. And I realized over time she's actually not doing it intentionally. She's not thinking about what she's doing, but subconsciously, it is a way to keep the energy from her bedroom door from coming at her right? She's creating these physical, um, you know, a little obstacle course, which kind of slows down whatever energy is coming through. Isn't that fascinating? So I still want her to have a clean room because it makes all of us happier people, right? She, she deserves to live in a fresh, clean environment. So when I talk to her about taking care of herself or taking care of her environment, I try to use that. I try to go through that doorway of, um, you know, (laughs) she doesn't necessarily need these little obstacles. Um, she can, you know, there's, there's energetic things we can do to set up uh, a slowing or a little protective bubble or, you know, there's little things that we can do to help her feel like, um, things can't just come in her bedroom door and just, you know, come at her energetically. So, that's been really, really helpful in terms of how honoring who she is, talking, talking to her with the context that actually is talking to her spirit and not like shaming her for having a messy room or, you know, well, how dare you do this? You just clean, you know, I don't do any of that conversation with her. That's ridiculous. She's, they do it um, for a reason. So whether that's a husband or a wife or a friend or a kid, it, they're doing it for a reason. So, um, you can kind of see if somebody, you know, and love is messy, that is a clue that they're energy sensitive. Okay. Number four, their tone of voice can be harsh when they communicate. Okay. If you have an angel in the family, if you have an angel friend, their tone of voice can be harsh when they communicate. So angels are black and white. They, I want to say lack the ability, but maybe work towards the ability to use fluffy, colorful language when speaking to you, right? They can do it, but they don't like to. Um, They like to be direct and specific and even aggressive if they're afraid of something you're talking about, right? Um, This took me a very long time to understand, but when I... When we're in a situation and the family, we were afraid, we were, you know, emotions were heightened, the two angels would get very aggressive. And that really confused me for a long time. And what I come to understand, it's because that's how they experience fear, right? Like life is not black and white. And so a lot of our reality is in the gray. It's in the unknown. Um, You can't, you know, just put stuff in your date book and have everything work out to a T. People have feelings, things come up, things don't, you know, traffic doesn't move on time. I mean, life is in the gray. It's, there's an unknown factor and angels do not like that. Um, so once it dawned on me, this is what they're doing. They're getting aggressive because they're really afraid. I was able to then talk to them through the lens of making them feel safe, 
you know, reminding them that I'm right here with them. I've got their back. We're in this together. They're not alone. It's going to be okay, whatever that is. And, um, and all, I also sort of had to drop the expectation that they would use language that I would, right? I do, you know, I, I live in the gray. I'm, I'm always flexible and fluid because I have to be. That's what kind of spirit I am. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, I can use my language to let somebody know what the truth is through my eyes. Where angels are very black and white, so they communicate very black and white. Um, so they cannot really, they don't have a natural instinct or compulsion to use like, Oh honey, Oh darling. Oh sweetheart. You know, I, I talk to people like that. <laughs> That's just who I am. I very much use that language because I tend to talk from my heart. Um, and so the angels, they don't do that. I mean, things just have to be black and white or they get very frustrated. So we, um, two things we, ex we can understand if they get aggressive, that can come more through fear because they're frustrated that things are not black and white in the moment. And, um, to lose the expectation that they can use fluffy and nurturing language. They can't, they just can't, you know, uh, I've, I've literally never after 15 years of marriage, um, been comforted by my husband's words, <laughs> right? Not because he's not comforting. He is for sure, but it's not his words that are comforting ever because his communication is very black and white. So another funny thing about their tone of voice is that, um, angels repeat themselves. They'll say something over and over, especially when they're little, right? So it's a way for them to make their thoughts and feelings more real. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it's like, um, you know, look at the dog out in the yard. Look at the dog out in the yard. They'll say it a couple times. And they're not trying to be an, uh, annoying, nor did they forget what they just said. It is just this fascinating phenomenon of watching them make that real for themselves. So they say it over and over. I can't say that I don't do that too, in some ways, you know, if I'm really passionate about a conversation, I will definitely say the thing over and over. And that's for me comes through my passion or the energy behind it. But the, the interesting thing about the angels is they say it over and over to make it more real. Isn't that fascinating? Okay. We're moving along here. Number five, angels need crave sugar like there's no tomorrow. Okay. The way that they cope with the incredible amount of energy that they have to deal with is through food and drink. Sugar is a favorite go-to. Some say that changes into alcohol when the angel gets older. My daughter's young, so I have to say cancel, cancel. I reject that. <laughs> but, um, you know, when she gets older, I, I sort of um, I'm already wanting to watch that because I, um, obviously, yeah, she likes sugar. So do I, we're not, we're, she and I are not different in any way with that, but, um, there's a, there is a slight difference because she is really trying to use the, that dopamine The you know, sugar does wonders for the dopamine hit in the human brain after managing all that energy. So, um, it's definitely trying to use a, obviously they don't know this. It's just what they are doing subconsciously. They're trying to adjust the energy that they feel, um, through that chemical release of the dopamine in the brain. Um, so they must learn how to deal with energy 
instead of resorting to food or alcohol or to cope, um, or, you know, to cope with the intense energies that they feel from everything. Okay. Um, so again, a lot of us have sugar issues when we don't have any other sort of um, healthy ways to deal with things. Sometimes it's way easier to grab a snack, you know, versus sitting your butt down to meditate and, or really have time to feel the feelings that you feel. So, um, you know, those are the ways that angels and the rest of us can process energy. It's through, instead of encouraging them to have more sugar, and or if they are older and want to drink, um, a redirection of meditation, going for a walk, having a heart to heart so they can talk through the feelings and the energy that they are experiencing if you're a trustworthy um, listener for that. Okay, number six, they believe thinking and doing are the same thing. Okay angels spin out in their minds. They are great thinkers, but it is hard to translate thinking into action, right? So, um, my daughter will stand doing dishes in her mind and I'll say, Hey, you know, are you going to get the dishes done? And she'll, she'll be like, no kidding, mom, you know, like get off my back. I, I just, I see them like they're doing it in their heads and it's, it's really hard for them to translate the thought into action if I ask my husband if he's taken any action on the project he's been thinking about, you know, um, depending on what it is, obviously, no, not really, because thinking about it feels just as much um, of, as an accomplishment as doing something physically to get things done. And that's probably goes back to that pack rat sort of the energy too. Um, if you say clean your room, they are doing it in their mind. Um, so maybe they don't want to actually pick it up because then you'll start taking down their energetic barrier. <laughs> Funny, right? Okay. Number seven, angels can be obsessive, obsessive, right? <laughs> Excuse me. They tune into things at such an intimate and grand way. It's hard for them to separate their energy from what they're thinking about, right? So for example, I like to go skiing. I mean, I was raised in Montana. I love to go skiing, but I can think of it enough to plan the trip, get the lunch, you know, what are we going to wear? How are we going to get there? You know, basic stuff. My husband will think about skiing or snowboarding in his case, nonstop to the point of obsession, right? He'll look at his phone. He'll watch the videos. He'll shop for clothes. He'll get to know who the best skiers are. He'll learn every damn thing about the equipment. He'll know all the gadgets and all the trinkets do. He'll find where the best places are to go. And I mean, I'm exhausted by, oh, I'm exhausted by it all, but he does that. So does my daughter. There was a time she wanted a dog so bad when we were living in California. We did not have the right situation for her to have a doggy. And she spent about two years looking at dogs online. I mean, obsessed. So it's that, it's that, oh personality where it's hard for them to pull their energy away um, from something, you know, if they're really focused on something or thinking about something, it is hard to pull them away um, to think about um, something other than that. Okay, number eight, angels appear to lack empathy for silly things in life. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about this, right? So angels can listen to you bitch and moan and cry, and get mad, and sh they can show zero emotionality around what you've just said, 
right? There's kind of a feeling like it's not their problem. They don't want or need to fix you. So this took me a long time to understand and accept. Okay. So my guy is just like, come on, imagine being an angel, right? You're, you, you were created to be an angel, right? You protect humans. You're kind of standing around all day. I mean, I see angels and I, there was a point when I had my son that I had to sit so much to nurse and to hold, to protect, you know, all the things that we do when we have babies. Um, there was this like 10 foot sparkly being just standing there. And I, it would only really catch my eye when it would shift positions. And, um, you know, it just stood there all day watching and protecting. So if you could put yourself in the shoes of an angel, they're sort of wired to endure boredom. Isn't that fascinating? Right? They, they, let's just say, you know, all the human things that come up, sorrow, frustration, uh, you know, anger, um, separation, you know, a lot of us live away from our families. You know, some of us have families we have to live away from. There's so many things that come up and they just are steadfast. They just stand there and watch you. You know, if you're not going to be in pain or hurt, uh, they, um, their job is not to fix your finances. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their job is not to help you lose weight. Their job is not the, um, to make you have self-confidence. Their job is really to protect, stand by, stand over and protect. And they are very good at that. So imagine how frustrating it is for them to get into a human body and to be expected to give a shit about all the things human being, you know, human beings can, you know, all the feelings we can have all the time, depending on the chapters in our lives. I mean, good Lord, right? So people are crying and feeling sorry for themselves and angry at often very trivial things. So angels know in the grand scheme of things, you're okay. They don't need to intervene in every human moment you have, right? They're there for the big stuff, the scary stuff, the life and death stuff. That's what they do in real life. In real life, that's actually what they do too, right? They just stand there and they're present with you, but they don't get emotional on your behalf. So when you can kind of understand that, you can just take away the expectation that they should do this, that, and the other thing for you, if they really cared about you. You know what I mean? They do care about you and they just know in, in, in every essence of their being that it's not their job to fix you. Okay. If you are bleeding and you get hurt, they'll be there for you. But if you're upset about this or that, they know that's your job. That's your responsibility. That's yours to work through. Okay. And so that takes us into number nine, number nine, angels are okay with your pain right? Are you bleeding? They stand steady there confronting you. You know, they're comforting you in their own way with your physical pain. They're not taking on your pain, but they'll be there to patch you back together, right? I mean, if you start crying, that's too much for them. So they usually have an energy like, okay, stop it. You're okay. They don't, they, it's too much. They don't really have time or interest in your tears. They, they know in their spirits that you're okay, right? They're they're created that way. They know you're okay, technically. Now, if you're crying in front of me, I'll be the first one to cry with you because I cannot be in the presence of a tear without shedding one myself, right? But if you start bleeding, I'll probably drop to the ground and um, 
just hope that there's an angel around <laughs> to help both of us now, right? So angels actually are everywhere in the medical profession because they can handle your blood and all the other weird body issues with amazing calm and control. Okay. Me in surgery, that would not be pretty as a psychic medium. I'm in there with your spirits. I'm in there with, uh, maybe you're at an exit point. I feel all that. That's too much for me. An angel can handle all of that. And it can look, um, apathetic. Is that the right word? It can look like they don't care, but they absolutely do. So the thought of maybe a doctor having maybe a harsh tone, maybe like not, it doesn't appear that they care, but they do because they're there, right? Okay. And finally, number 10, angels don't express their feelings verbally. This took me a long time to understand and accept. Okay. It's easy to doubt whether an angel likes or cares about you because they don't use their words to tell you. They do it by the energy they offer you, right? I mean, this took me forever to comprehend this. Okay. So angels care far deeper than you can imagine because they are more sensitive than other beings. The paradox is that they don't express their sensitivity verbally. So who the hell would know what they're thinking unless you're telepathic too, which when you are sad, you're not very telepathic. You know, we get our clairs, our psychic gifts get, you know, they get a little bit harder to access because they're overwhelmed by our emotional our emotional selves, right? So sometimes being loved um, in the mental realm, neglecting the emotional and physical realm doesn't feel like enough. You know, so I've had clients, um, I've had students, and when we are able to go back into the past and maybe talk maybe more about ex-husbands, um, some of the behavior that we um, dig through, that we uncover together, we can reveal, you know, and obviously I can just ask the guides too. They can tell me yes or no, but, um, the revelation that maybe your ex-husband was an angel is an epiphany. Okay. It's, it's a new reality. It is a, oh my gosh, I never considered that when I was scared and hurting his, you know, maybe seemingly, maybe he seemed indifference was maybe him because he's just an angel and, um, he didn't have it in him to show you the way, you know, again, if you're scared, if you're hurting emotionally, they're not really the go-tos for that. And so sometimes when we're married to that and we don't understand that, that can really be something hard to comprehend that they give a crap, right? Um, so this is where language really comes in because to live in harmony, I learned to let them know what I need from them. Right? And I check in with them to see how they're doing, how they're feeling too. And when they're kind of don't want to talk about it, I try to be patient enough to let them sort of, you know, open up in whatever way they feel um, they can. Because I like whatever way is natural to them. Well, emotions aren't really natural to them. So that's just not really going to happen. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not having emotions because they are, after all, in a human body having a human experience. So. Um, you know, I've have to, I have to present 
what I'm thinking, what I'm needing, um, my feelings to them, they are not going to ask. And um, if there's like an addendum, because something is really important to me, I do have to let them know they're not going to get there on their own. And it's not because they don't love and care about me. They do. Um, and then again, to offer patience when they are having some emotional issues and it's not really coming out. So be very patient with them with that, right? So these are the 10 things that most um, angels have in common. These are the traits, right? And, um, you know, they're in a human body having a human, having a human experience. So we are sort of all funneled into this form of reality here on earth. But, um, you know, I know this topic is a mind bender. It's certainly been mine for years. I was such a slow learner on this. I mean, being raised Catholic made this reality very hard for me to comprehend. But honestly, once I accepted the possibilities and then confronted my personal belief systems about not only angels being real, but in a human body too, my God, I was finally, only after all that, able to ask the right questions and find the right people and the experts and, you know, the guides to help me understand what it meant. I finally was able to sort of access the ability to ask the right questions to my guides to help me understand. Um, so what I have available, you have available too. So, um, Again, I learned, I leaned on my guides to help me unwind my own confusion around it all. So the question is, can you spot the angel in your life? With these 10 tips, you'll now be able to. Okay, as we are at the end of this podcast, we're already 37 minutes in or so. And I just want to tell maybe two very brief stories just to sort of bring more context around this kind of mind bending topic. Um, one of the things I hear all the time, um, my grandpa was on his deathbed and my daughter was probably, um, she was probably six at the time or so. Now, um, to be honest, my grandpa was from the South and he, again, I'm trying to be honest, but nice. <laughs> Sometimes that's hard to do in my situation. So let's just say he was, he sort of didn't really talk to us growing up very much, us as in the girls. And if he did, it was always kind of uh, degrading or superficial, like uh, the joke about your ass is too big or, you know, okay. So just to kind of give you a little bit of character background there. Um, but when he was on his deathbed, of course, um, he was connecting to the spirit world in a very, um, w a very open way. And so my little girl was around him and he was just staring at her. And I, I really, I was fully conscious in this moment. I really dug in and was, I was trying to pay attention to what was happening. And he just kept looking at her, looking at her. And then he turned to me with such a sweet and tender and in awe tone of voice and said, her eyes, Katie, her eyes. And, you know, kind of gives me shivers to this day because it is, her eyes are beautiful, obviously, as are her daddy's, her daddy's eyes are the most beautiful, but, um, that's not, not just what they're talking about, right? So the eyes, eyes of angels stick with us. They're different than maybe other types of souls in human bodies. Um, they are very different. 
So I'm not going to sort of try to shrink it and say, oh, they look like this or you'll feel that or you won't. Um, it's it's an individual feeling. It's a feeling of awe. It's a feeling of something special. It's a feeling of something that is so high vibrational. Um, and I really loved that on my grandpa's deathbed when he was trying to very, very much trying to um, be vulnerable and open that he was able to language that. Um, and he trusted me to say that to me because I knew exactly what he was talking about at that point. Um, when she was a baby, I might not have understood the, the significance of that moment. <laughs> I might have, might have went over my head, but it didn't. It, that moment was not lost on me for sure. So, um, another kind of story just to make this more human, more real. So when I was little tiny and my mom and dad were married, my dad would have poker games. And so an awful sort of memory is I'd be in my little dress shirt and I'd come downstairs to say goodnight to my dad. And he'd like make me give each of the guys a hug and a kiss. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> It still grosses me out to think about, but you know, they're all fine men. It was, you know, no big deal, but I, I remember doing it and I remember hating it. Okay. There's no way in hell I would have been able to get my daughter to do the same thing. So what does that look like? I never asked that of her cause I guess I'm me and she's her, but let's just say an average person that maybe isn't totally immersed in the world of psychic information. Let's just say maybe you're a mom or you're dead you're a mom or you're a dad and you want your kids to be friendly. You want them to connect to, you know, your family or your family, friends or whatever. So you're like, Oh, go give so-and-so a kiss. Okay. If you have a kid that says no, no way in hell. No, that's a sign that they might be an angel. Why? Because their boundaries are incredible. They have already downloaded all the information that they need about that person. And if you say, go do this or that, and that's crossing a boundary for them, you cannot make them without a fight. Okay. So I, um, for many years, I almost took the lead from her because again, I was raised boundaries crossed, boundaries crossed. Uh, there were, there was no such thing as boundaries really, right? That was not a word that was introduced to me until I was much older. I think Dr. Phil's self matters book, in fact. Um, so, um, I would definitely, I'm psychic too, but I wasn't, you know, as totally developed as I was, you know, back then I wasn't as I am today. Um, so when she was little, I'd kind of watch to see how she was reacting towards somebody. And I let that be a guide for me. Um, again, I told you guys the story about when I heard the voice, pick her up and take her towards um, people, he's going to follow you. She got the message probably faster than I did. Um, one time when we we're in New England, I was literally carrying her. She was a baby, like one, but she was so conscious. She was so awake and aware. I took her to the library in Derry, New Hampshire. And, uh, there, a guy just kind of, I just knew he was going to follow us. I didn't hear a voice at that time. I just knew it. So I turned around and left the library. Sure enough, he followed us. And I was watching the way she was watching him. So I turned around and went back in the library and sure enough, he followed us then too. So my point is, is that, um, my parents telling me, go give that guy a kiss, go give him a hug. I did it. I didn't like it, but I did it. Um, 
me having, if I ever dared have said that to my daughter when she was little or the same age, you couldn't make her. There would have been a fight. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, so the point is, is that their boundaries are to be protected or to be respected. And some of us can learn from that. So instead of seeing that as um, something they need to overcome, just really celebrate that. Really celebrate that about them. Um, you know, the third thing, I don't necessarily have a story. I, I could probably just tell too many stories, so I can't really narrow it down to one. And maybe we'll talk more about angels in general, um, rather than angels in our family in another podcast. But, um, one of the things I think we maybe need to talk about is angels can be naive, which is paradoxical to having really good boundaries. So one of the exercises I do, um, I taught myself this exercise. I do it naturally now when my kids are alone in the car with me. Um, so this is how that looks. So I, to process energy, let's just say if my husband runs into Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, I tend to not like to go into those busy stores. So I'll hang out in the car with the kids and I will, we'll just read the people coming out not in the context of being judgmental, but rather like that person feels sad. You know, that person feels whatever that person, blah, blah, blah. So my son will do it. I'll do it. And that's kind of, we're processing psychic information, not necessarily through the lens of judgment. Right. But my angel daughter does not like that because she only sees it through the lens of judgment. And I, I don't want her to raise judgmental children. Certainly I don't. Um, I just have to language to her that I have to honor the things that I read of people. I have to still sometimes teach myself that what I'm reading is accurate, you know, because you're, your whole life you're raised and told that your opinion is not right. It doesn't matter. You're wrong. You know, this person that hurt you is a fabulous person. So just go back to them. You know, you're wrong for thinking they're bad or dangerous or what have you. So like we come from obviously different, um, upbringing. So, um, the part that concerns me is that, um, there is a naivety to angels. There is a disbelief that, um, trivial bad things can happen. Does that make sense? So they're very good with big time boundary things, but the trivial things that can really add up, you know, it's kind of like, let's just say maybe a fear of mine would be, um, if and when she dates, maybe he can say cruel things or harsh things. And that would not be a boundary for her because, um, those are sort of trivial, but as her mother, they're big to me. Does that make sense? So she's not, and I would, you know, I don't want to be naive myself, but I would imagine she's not the personality that would go out with a dangerous person, but the little things that can chew away at somebody's spirit, I worry about for her. Um, now we have, we, we have open dialogue, open communication, uh, you know, hope when she goes through that and she's gone through some things already, but, um, it's just that there, there can be a naivety. You know, if I say this and this about this person to my husband where I'm like, mm, that's something to watch. He'll, he'll kind of be like, meh, meh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. And I'll be like, mm, you've got to be a little bit more charged about this issue, dear, because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, so 
my son and I can be very tuned in and passionate about the little things that can uh, add up and just, you know, deteriorate your soul, your spirit, your happiness, where they, um, sort of, they can overlook those things because maybe it doesn't affect them as deeply as it does he and I's sort of spirit too. But let's be honest, like it doesn't prevent them from having really hurt feelings or lacking self-confidence if they put themselves in negative situations that just like subtly chew away at them. Okay. I think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So, um, maybe, um, the final point with all of this is I'm thinking about married people. I'm thinking about partner people or people that are dating, um, um, communication, right? So not expecting, even though angels are telepathic, that can be exhausting and it's exhausting for you psychically. It's, it can be exhausting for them too, but it's like way more normal for them. So I just want to say that, um, again, like if my husband would just kind of sit by me, but not talk, that bothered me for a really long time. Cause I felt like, he was taking, or it felt like there was a lot going on, but there were no words. So it felt very um, intrusive, maybe is the word I'm trying to use. So um, you're in a relationship, you know, whether it's a mother, daughter, a partnership, a husband and wife. Um, communication is the most important thing here. Using words, using language to slow psychic information down to language, emotional, um, emotional energy that might be hard for some people to access. Okay. It can be really hard for me to get the feelings out of my angel daughter because she's not super aware that she even has them. And of course she does. Of course my husband does. So patience with the, uh, encouraging them to language it. So, um, you know, for all of us, like some of us that are very emotional, um, very sensitive, we have to work with balancing that, right? Um, so uh, my, my fine point is that with the angels, we can encourage them to say more, to be aware of their feelings more. We can encourage that to help them have a more rounded out human experience rather than like, oh, you're telepathic, so you never have to talk to me again. <laughs> now that's silly, right? It'd be silly for me to not have taught my daughter to talk because some people are not telepathic and she is going to want to talk to everybody. She wants everyone to hear what she has to say. So, um, communication, patience, um, Accepting them, yes, but also perhaps encouraging them is also a very important thing to end this podcast on. So that's it for this week. If you're curious about which is the strongest Claire in you, go to my website at katesaintclair.com and take my quiz, Which Claire Are You? And as always, um, let me know on social media, reach out, let me know what you got. I'm always excited to hear what you guys are getting from that quiz. Thank you so much for being here. I love talking about this because it's um, a big part of my life and it's something that confused and frustrated me for a really long time. And we, we will have more conversations about it because, um, you know, 
just the, the whole concept can sign, kind of be hard to grasp at first, but I really integrated this into my life now. And I have just been so much more helpful to my clients and to my students that come to me as angels. When I know with which the lens that they see reality, I can, I can know how to talk to them. I can help them through that lens. But when I resisted this, <laughs> you know, trying to explain the unexplainable was just unbelievably hard. So anyway, subscribe to this podcast and leave me a beautiful review so we can let other sensitives know that this is the place that they need to be to be part of this conversation. And if you subscribe, you'll catch next week's episode, which is called Stand Up For Yourself. Your soul will thank you for it. Um, yeah, so that's next week's anyway. Um, Anyway, I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, remember, it's your birthright to be guided and be great.